Hey guys, this is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. David, I'm really excited to have you here today. And probably selfishly, the reason I'm most excited to get this conversation is I am a kindred spirit to your zeal. Like when I see your urgency, I feel it too. And there's a little bit in me of this feeling of, you know, shouldn't we all feel this way if this is all true? And this is what I love about your new book is it just kind of shook me by the shoulders and said, hey, this is true and this is real. And I think that other reality that we say we believe in as Christians is the more real reality. We know that, but I don't know that we're always living in it. So I'm excited to discuss what that has looked like for you as somebody that craves that. Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting. I know we're just jumping in, but like, I, I wonder sometimes like, okay, is it just like my personality or maybe your personality? Like, maybe a little more intense in this way or that way. And so people are just more laid back. But, and I think obviously we have different personalities, all kinds of different people, but I think that there is an urgency that is inherent in the gospel and like opening God's word and looking at realities in the world. Like that's just unavoidable regardless of personality. So yeah, I look forward to diving in. Well, and I do think, part of where that urgency I've noticed in you has come from is seeing different cultures. Mm. And and that has awoken something in you. So let's just talk about the premise of the book, which began as really an excursion into very unreached people groups. Yeah. So uh, the book is basically a, a compilation of different treks that I've taken in uh, the Himalayas and these remote villages. And more than anywhere else I've traveled in the world, those villages just represent what I can only describe as like a, a collision of urgent spiritual and physical need. Like urgent physical need, they have uh, done some research in these villages and they found a couple of years ago that half of the kids were dying before their eighth birthday. Like I, I think about we have four kids, one Lord willing on the way through adoption, but I, one of my biggest fears is something happening to one of them. Like I can imagine that being an expectation for mm. half of them and they're dying of preventable diseases. Like the kind of things where when my kid gets a, a cut and I just go to the pharmacy and get like some ointment for that. But in these villages, like one cut or one drink of the wrong water can lead to death and so so just to see poverty and then to see the way like traffickers are preying on poverty in these villages and uh just doesn't take a lot of convincing for a trafficker who comes through to say to a family that's struggling hey we'll take your daughter and we'll go down to the city she'll get we'll get her an education a good job or she can make money that she can send back up to help your family she'll come back up and visit your family Uh, periodically and so they send their daughter down and she'll never come back and she won't Mm -hmm. be getting a good education and she won't have a good job she'll be put in a brothel where she's broken Mm -hmm. and abused and used in all kinds of ways none of us want to even fathom and uh, so urgent physical need and then on top of that 
urgent spiritually. And like most of the people I've met in those mountains have little to no knowledge of Jesus. They've just never heard of God's love. And Jesus talking, you, you go up to somebody on a, on a trail and you say, Hey, what do you know about Jesus? And they say, who's that? Like, it's like, you're talking about somebody in a village nearby that they haven't met yet. Like they have no idea who he is. Mm. And so all that to say, like, whenever I come out of those mountains, I just want to, part of me wants to take like multitudes of people onto those trails with me. I know that's not like physically possible. So this something needs to change a book is just an effort to kind of bring those trails to us to bring urgent need before us and just ask the question, like how has God designed each of our lives to count for the spread of his grace and his goodness in a world where there's urgent need like this? Well, this week on the podcast, we've been talking about discontentment. And I actually wanted you on for this week because I do think there's a restlessness and a discontentment that is in us that is godly. Mm. There's something stirring in us that we need to listen to that God has put in us to make us not settle into our comfort and into you know, prosperity. And I know you see prosperity as kind of this veil that has covered our eyes a little bit. So talk just a little bit about that that issue of, you know, because a lot of people, you're right, they'll never leave the U.S. They'll never see poverty like we've seen mm. and and desperate need like we've seen. But yet we can still live in that desperate way. Absolutely. That, that's the thing. And that's where, so even part of my, my hope in writing this book as like an eight-day uh, trek through these trails is to bring people face-to-face with what, yeah, many people may not see, but the reality is I think in the process, and I've seen this over and over again in my life and others who I've taken different places in the world, like all of a sudden we start to have our eyes open to urgent need actually right around us. It may not look exactly the same as it does in those Himalayan mountains, but uh, but we're surrounded by need right around us if we'll open our eyes to it. And, and once we do, yes, I think there is this what I hope is a godly discontentment that rises up in us. Like, I mean, you, you can't walk those trails, for example, and be like, okay, yeah, this is kind of the way it is. And I'm not going to do something about it. Like, that's why I titled the book, what I did when my first time coming out of those mountains, I was sitting in the airport and a friend of mine who was on the trip with me just said, David, what's your takeaway from this? And I said, all I know is something needs to change. Like I can't, I can't go on with life as normal have seen this. And that's the thing. Once we dare to open our eyes to need right around us, need around the world, then we can't be the same. We just, we can't, not if we're followers of Christ. Like I, it's, there's more girls being trafficked out of those mountains right now. Like I want to live to change that reality. There's more people who are dying without ever even hearing the gospel. Like I want to change that reality. And, and the beauty is God has, and this is what, so Part of my aim in the book is not just to say, hey, here's the need, almost in a way that just leaves us really heavy, but just with hope, like God has designed you and me, us, every one of our lives to be a part of making his goodness and his grace and his hope and his love known amidst urgent need. And we have opportunities to do that. Every one of us has unique opportunities to do that. So to to think through what does that look like then in my life? Like, how do I make my life count for what matters instead of just kind of turning a blind eye and deaf ear to needs right around us and needs far from us? Well, and I think, yes, what you're saying right now 
is everybody's fear. It's, it's, oh, this sounds terribly depressing. And we just, we don't want to actually encounter need because it feels so heavy. But I have felt more excited and hopeful in engaging that than I have in pretending that it isn't happening. You know, I I think we do actually contain hope, right? Like those of us that have Christ, we contain hope. And we're part of a church, a system across the world that if free and risen up and equipped and, and launched can shift the world. I mean, it's we're not talking about a small club. It's like this was the model of God is that the church would be in all places and and meet all needs. Yes, yes. So that that's that's exactly it. That's what's like when I, after four or five days in the trails in this book, kind of describe finally meeting like a small group of believers and this little church on the side of a mountain, this little house, and they're gathered together just all ages crammed in this little room and uh, and just the look on their faces because of the hope they found in Christ and things have gotten harder for them as a result. Like they uh, different stories of, okay, they're not allowed to use the village water source now that they're a follower of Jesus uh, because they're seen as introducing another foreign God into the village. So, mm. so they're facing different challenges, but then to see the way they're caring for each other and the way they're saying, mm. even among those who are, persecuting them uh, how can we show God's love to them and just to see that or or to see like I think about this last I just got back a few months ago from a trip on these trails and uh, we were in this art therapy class for these girls who've been rescued out of trafficking and uh, I mean there was an eight-year-old girl in there it's just so humbling but to see the smiles on their faces to see girls who've been rescued out of that and it's like yes that's what I want to live for like I want to live to see that kind of hope spread that kind of joy spread and and like this is life this is better than even to go back to what you were asking about earlier just the yeah prosperity and the lure of possessions i was actually reading first Timothy six earlier this morning and just like those who are rich in the present age those who have physical resources like us to be generous and ready to share because we're living for what matters in eternity and i mm. i look at faces around that art therapy class and i think now that's a good way to spend money like living to support work that's rescuing yes. girls from this like that that is that's it's not just eternal gain like that's joy right now this is what the right. life is about right now not more and more stuff better shinier stuff in this world i want to talk a little bit more about what you learned from their view of church because it was beautiful when i read it in the book that the things they didn't have and the things they did have mm-hmm. yeah so i i think when I when I picture so yeah picture this church what they do have well maybe what they don't have first they don't have a nice stage they don't have lights they don't have a building they don't have programs they don't have uh, professional staff they don't have so a lot of the things that we picture when we think of church what do they have they have the spirit of God they have the word of God. They have each other, like community with each other, and they have a purpose in this village where they live to make the gospel known. Like, And apparently that's all you really need for church. So it's not that all this other stuff is bad, all the other stuff that I listed is bad in and of itself, but to the extent in which those things actually 
keep us from focusing on that which is most important, most essential. Like you can't help but to walk away from that setting and just think, okay, so why are so many Bible-believing churches, including the one I pastor here in Metro Washington, D.C., like so many Bible-believing churches filled with so many things and focused on so many things that are not actually in the Bible? Like I think we've got to at least ask that question and then work to focus on, okay, spirit of God, word of God, love for one another, like zealous compassion for a community city around us in need. Like this is what should mark the church, not a lot of the other stuff that we oftentimes think of and focus on. Okay, I want to tell you who in large part you're talking to because I know them. I know I know these people listening right now. They're listening because they want to be free. They want their lives to count. They are zealous. Like they're not passive. They're not checked out. Like if they're if they're this far into the podcast, like I'm telling you, they are they are sold out to Jesus. And yet we find ourselves many of us, although there are other countries represented, for sure, most people listening have a lot. We have a lot of comfort. We have our comfortable churches. And I remember being out of college and wondering if I could really love Jesus in America. Mm. Like, is it is it going to steal my passion for God? And I want you to give them hope of what it, that that's possible, but what that type of life costs and what that looks like. Mm. Absolutely, it's possible. And not only is it possible, it's like God desires this for us and he's designed us for this. He's designed us for so much more than... Yeah, this nice, comfortable Christian spin on the American dream. And so uh, so absolutely it's possible. And God has put his very spirit in us to make this a reality. At the same time, like it doesn't come easy. I, I think again about first of these six reading this morning, like fight the good fight of faith. So it is a it is a fight. There is a spiritual battle against and first of these six specifically is talking about uh against materialism um but just there's an adversary who does not want our lives to count there's an adversary who uh, wants us just to coast uh doesn't want more girls to be rescued doesn't want people who've never heard the gospel to hear the gospel and doesn't want our lives to count even right around us right where we live and so realize okay there's a fight and and so you know i was i was reflecting the other day i was i was in james 4 uh, just in my personal time of the lord and i was like okay well, what does this look like in my life so here's where i would encourage the zealots listening to this like okay what does this look like in our lives here's the words that came to my mind urgent humble action mm, so action action i'm kind of maybe take those in reverse like action so change like doesn't happen in the world around us our lives don't count just through thinking or just through talking but through acting through like doing something it, which is interesting i mean james faith without action is just totally dead and uh so action okay so how do we need to act well with humility so humble action what i mean by that is like let's so it's not like a let's pull up our bootstraps and let's see what all we can do like the beauty is we're instruments in god's hands he is working in the world for the spread of his grace and his glory so we're just put ourselves up on the table before him and just say god whatever you want me to do it's interesting right now the church i pastor this week we are fasting and praying together and just saying in a fresh way god who are you leading among us to maybe go where the gospel's not yet gone. So just to really humble ourselves before God, say, okay, my life is yours to spend. My money is yours to spend. My time is yours to spend. Uh, so I'm not calling the shots. I don't call the shots on where I live, what I do with my money. Like you're doing that. So 
So help me to humbly act with urgency. And so that's where, like, I think we just have to, in this fight of faith, to fight this uh, maybe someday I'll do something kind of mentality because like girls in brothels don't need you or me saying, maybe someday I'll do something. Like people who are dying without ever hearing the gospel don't need you or me saying, maybe someday I'll do something. Like humbly act today, realizing, okay, like this is possible. So this is where I would encourage so to keep this from being like way too vague and ambiguous. Like the reality is look around you right now, every one of us today, like people's greatest need is to be reconciled to God. The only way that can happen is through the gospel. Like we can meet the most urgent need in people's lives today by sharing the gospel with somebody else. So it doesn't have to be like some grand thing, even like just speak the gospel today. Like, I mean, don't underestimate the opportunity that there is right now to look in whatever city or community somebody lives in, just say, okay, where's, where's urgent physical need? What does that look like in the city around me? And the beauty is God will lead us in so many different ways to do so many different things. But, but the thing is urgent, humble action when it comes back to it, to do that right where we live, and just say, okay, what does this look like in my life? Like this week, what does this look like in my family this week? And then, and then to lift our eyes to ways we can be a part of what God's doing around the world at the same time. Last night, my daughter, we had a cross country meeting and some of the parents were there and I walked outside and she goes to public school and she had both hands on a girl's shoulder and she was just praying for her out loud. People could see her. And I was kind of, I had this thought like, wow, okay, this is really bold. Like it, it was so small, but I just, that's what comes to mind when I think yes. of, you know, this this urgent, humble action. She didn't care who saw. She knew that there, somebody had a need and she wasn't afraid to just put both hands on their, her shoulder and pray for it. And okay. I, I agree with you so much. I just think the church with that attitude but I think we're scared of urgency. And I am too, David. Like, honestly, it is hard to live discontent. It is costly and it wears you down. And it is easier to watch Netflix and zone out and forget how we can help. Mm. And so talk just a minute about how you stay connected to that, just discipline-wise, and and then also what it looks like to rest from that sometimes. Uh. That's a great word. Well, and it's interesting. I keep going back to First Timothy 6 just because I was in it this morning. But I mean, that's in the middle of this, like, fight this fight. Paul says, like, godliness with contentment is great gain. So that so it's like this contentment and discontentment. So how, how, do, the, how do you experience both? Like a contentment in Christ and a discontentment with people around us or on a road that leads to eternity separated from God. Like people around us are in in need in all kinds of ways. So how does that play out in my life? I would say, I, th I think we all need, I need like rhythms of work and rest along these lines. So I think it is unhealthy and I don't think it's the picture we see in scripture. If we were always just saying, okay, there's more and more and more and more and more I can do. And therefore we never kind of get out from under it. And the reality is that's where I think that's part of the humble part of the action because we realize, okay, the massive needs in the world are not actually on my shoulders 
ultimately. They're on God's shoulders ultimately, and only He can bear that burden. So the last thing I want to do in my own life, my family, or the church I pastor, or anybody who even reads a book like this is to say, is to like heap some unsustainable burden on somebody. Like only God can do this. At the same time, to realize God has called each of us to play a part. And so then to ask the question, okay, God, what part are you calling me to play? Mm. And and to identify that, like whether yes. somebody's single or somebody is married or in a family to say, okay, what's the part God's given us to play? And so, I mean, even the way this plays out uh, with money, for example, like I think it's I think it's good to, uh, in a first of these six, 17 through 19 kind of way, like we have good things that God has given us to enjoy. And it's not that we feel bad about good things God's given us to enjoy. At the same time, we are called to live with the contentment. So I think this is where I always just encourage people. It's what Heather and I try to do. Just like, okay, there's a cap on our lifestyle where we are, we've set up okay, a level of contentment and then beyond that like it's not okay so let's get more and better and nicer like yeah. no let's 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 give let's give but that doesn't mean we always have to feel guilty for every little thing we have and so so that would be a picture of okay identifying kind of a level of contentment in Christ and then being free to be generous ready to share rich in good works uh, building up, uh, you know, living for what matters in eternity. So, uh, so that would be a picture of that. So, I, I want my kids, for example, I want my kids to feel the urgency of making the gospel known in the world. And we pray together through uh, mm-hmm. for unreached people groups. We go together. Uh, we take them to different places locally and globally, and involved in ministry. At the same time. I take them to a baseball game too. Like we play <laughs> sports. Like I want them to see that there's there's a place to like enjoy the good things God has given us in life as so we live with zeal for what's going to matter in eternity. Mm, I love it because I do think this conversation in our flesh can lead toward legalism mm. or martyrdom, mm. and it can build a really pious person. Mm. <laughs> and I think what you're saying is so good because it's it's really ultimately the humility in it is just saying, God, I trust you. Like, I'm going to let you carry the world and I'm going to do my part. I'm going to surrender and obey to whatever you tell me to do. And as I'm going, that's how I'm going to live. And it, it is an exciting way to live. And I know somebody's probably listening and like, oh, I want to turn this off. This is too heavy. This is too hard. But it really is so exciting to work with God because what you find is he multiplies work, right? Yes. Like you you can't imagine how because he's so creative, but I have seen so much joy as as we have surrendered to God and gone on adventures to obeying him as far as what it means to involve ourselves in the rest of the world, what it means to involve ourselves in our neighborhood that that both have brought about the best days. The days you come home like without with not being able to quit talking because you're so excited about something. I I just, I want, I know what, maybe I'm trying to sell this too hard, David, <laughs> but I do think we kind of just tend to push away because we think it's heavy and hard. But the truth is, it's also the most rewarding parts of life. Yes, that's that's it. I mean, that's, uh, first of these six today was like, take hold of that, which is truly life. And like, yes. that's what, when we begin to taste, like I was interviewing a couple in our church recently who, uh, I mean, so picture, church members, 
living a nice, comfortable Christian spin on the American dream. Just, I mean, actually a very wealthy picture of a Christian spin on the American dream and just taking vacations all over the place and, uh, and all the finest clothes, this or that. So, so then they, they were on uh, a trip, actually just like a vacation, visiting family. They're from Ethiopia. They're visiting Ethiopia. And uh, somebody over there that they knew said, hey, will you come visit this orphanage? And so they go. And for the first time, their eyes are open to like the need, this is particularly among special needs children, and they were rocked. And they said, all right, we're going to make some changes. And then, I mean, basically they have now created like this whole coalition of churches in Ethiopia that are working <laughs> together to care for the orphan crisis in Ethiopia to the point where like the president of Ethiopia has invited uh, them for meetings. Uh, we were hosted recently by the ambassador from Ethiopia here in the U.S. And he he brought like a group of us from the church just to say thank you for the impact you're having on orphans in Ethiopia. And, mm. and so anyway, their lives are totally different. And so, so I asked him, I said, do you miss your old life? And they just started laughing. They said, no way. And they just started mm. talking about the joy that they're experiencing. And that's it. Like, that's just one picture of how God yes. made one person to take hold of that, which is truly life. Like, they don't miss their old life. It, that's where it's like, it's a, it's a snare. The world is a snare. Like, we are, we are pulled in with promises of satisfaction. What we don't realize is there's something so much better God has for us. I think about even Jesus when he's speaking to that rich young man. And he says, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And that that's kind of the picture. That seems hard. That seems whatever. Uh, but And then he says, you will have treasure in heaven. Like, don't miss the point, right? Jesus is not calling him <laughs> to a misery. He's calling him to treasure, like to real treasure, mm. treasure that will last forever. And so uh, that's the key. If we just, like, God would open our eyes. And I don't want this in my own life more and more and more. Open our eyes to see what he is offering to us, which is really life that is so much better than this. what this world puts before us. Well, it reminds me of, I know this is a funny analogy, but Percy Jackson, my son, loved those books. And there's a story of them going into, they had to go get something in this um, party, partying kind of casino type place. And of course, the second they get there, they start handing him drugs and they end up being there for weeks. Some people have been in there for years and they don't know it. Mm -hmm. And I just, I've always been haunted by that picture because I think that's kind of what the American dream is. It's like this years go by, you're chasing something that's not real, that's not helpful, but it's entertaining. <laughs> and all of a sudden you look up and go, wait, have I done something that matters? And it completely derailed them from the mission they were on. And I just think that's my hope. And even in having you on today, I just, I got shaky excited about it because that's my hope for every person listening is just that there would be this wake up call. And it's not a wake up call to misery. It's a wake up call to what you were truly built for, yeah. that our souls were actually built with eternity set in our hearts. Like that's what Acts says. And, and we aren't content living for something this temporary. It always, I mean, Zach and I, because of what he does, we get to be around people that have a whole lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, there's no, the only happy ones of the bunch are the ones living their lives for the glory of God. And we're not selling something that's untrue. Like this is true. <laughs> when you chase the things of God, there is a contentment and a peace and a joy 
and excitement and an adventure to your life that is better than the other way. And the other way, you know, I just think of Romans 8, it leads to sin and death. So I, I feel really hopeful, David, that I know a lot of people that are living this way. And I know a lot of people that in the church across America and across the world that are living this way. And I always tell people, the church is not dying. The church is growing. Don't be discouraged. It just isn't on Twitter or <laughs> on the news. But but you get to see that all the time. Tell us your hope for this generation and, and what you hope. You know, I know we'll get to heaven, who knows when, but it won't be far apart. You know, we'll get there <laughs> within the same time frame compared to other generations. So talk about our generation and what you hope for it when we get there. I just think we have... In our day, like right now, I was in Esther earlier too, like such a time as this, like we have such amazing opportunities to be a part of spreading gospel hope in the world around us. And I, I think specifically, so I, I look at the church in America, like we have been given unprecedented wealth in the history of the world, like unprecedented wealth, technology, opportunities. I mean, even like I was reading the other day about Adnarm Judson, missionary to uh, Burma. Like when he sailed to India, it took him 114 days on a boat to get to India. Like that wow. sounds miserable. I, you and I can get there in like 24 hours. That's We have an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing right around us, all around the world, with more resources than just about anybody ever. Like, it's amazing opportunity and stewardship, right? Like, we have been entrusted with much. And by God's grace, like, that's what I I continually, uh, yeah, I, I wrestle with probably most coming out of uh, those mountains in the Himalayas. Like, why was I not born in one of those villages? Like, why have I never had to worry about clean water or why have I heard the gospel practically my entire life since I was born? Like I obviously had nothing to do with where I was born. That's just a picture of God's grace. But so I, I, I don't understand. I, it's one of the mysteries that I just don't have a, a tidy answer to. Like why was I not born into some of these villages? But I do know this, I've been given grace like this for a reason. And it's not, it's not just to, uh, well, it's not to turn a blind eye and deaf ear to a world that is in need of grace like this. Like I have been given grace and I have opportunities unlike almost anybody in history to make his grace known in the world. I want to, I want to fully steward that. And so that's, that's my hope. I, my hope is that our eyes would be open to see one, the amazing grace God has poured out in our lives and that we would rejoice in that, like revel in that, like worship God for that and enjoy his grace to the full. And I, I think the way to enjoy his grace to the full, according to his word is to make his grace known, like to be reflective of his character, his love, his mercy, his justice, his, his compassion in a world of urgent need right around us, far from us. Like, and this is, this is life. This is life that God's designed us to live. That when we live like that, we won't regret it 10 billion years from now. We'll be really thankful we lived that way. One other thing that comes to my mind in the way, yeah, we were talking about just like some of this can seem hard or this or that. This, this is what I told our church this last Sunday, because we were talking about, okay, is God leading some of us to go to 
you know, the Middle East to work for the spread of the gospel there instead of comfortable suburban Washington, D.C. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I said, I know that like fear can rise up in us. Like this is just crazy. Like maybe I should. But that's where I just said, if, if we can trust Jesus with our lives for eternity, surely we can trust him with our lives on this earth. And not only to trust him with our lives on this earth, but to trust him to satisfy us every step of the way. Like he, he desires our good more than we desire our good if we will just trust him. Mm, I love it. And I'm going to go back to what you said earlier. I don't know why, when you said, I don't know why you weren't born there. I think one reason, David, is because you are waking up here and it hopefully will mobilize many, many, many people to live out God's obedience for their lives. So I know that has happened in me. I read Radical before I had written anything and I knew that that was how I would live all the days of my life. And if ever that changed, then people pull the plug. (laughs) So thank you for how you've done that for me. And I know thank you for that for so many other people too. Hey guys, this is Chloe. Thanks for listening to the Made for This podcast today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation Jenny had with David Platt. David just came out with a book called Something Needs to Change, a call to make your life count in a world of urgent need. And y'all, I don't know if you read Radical like I did a few years ago, and it truly changed my life. And I have been waiting and so excited for this book to come out. We'll put all the links to David's website and his new book in the show notes, so make sure to check it out today. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. Made for This podcast.